Hello, and welcome to Tapped In. I'm your host, Dave Morales, and this podcast is an extension of the Bellingham Tap Trail, where we hang out and chat with people involved in the local brewing scene. This month, my dear listeners, we have something a little different. As most of you are aware, our vibrant scene here in Bellingham isn't just all about the beer. The cider scene is going gangbusters as well, and today we sit down with Chris Noskoff, co-owner of Lost Giants Cider Company. Today's Tapped In Conversation is sponsored by Puget Sound Energy's Green Power Program. Green power is renewable power made from resources that are naturally replenishing. Doing your part to reduce carbon is easy. Learn how you can support green power made right here in the Northwest at pse.com slash greenpower, all one word. Chris and I sat down uh, just a few days after their one-year anniversary, actually. It was interesting to see just how a working brewery and a working cidery differ. Chris is an easy guy to talk with, and I had a good time getting to know him, and hopefully you do as well. Enjoy. Thanks for coming. Of course. Thanks for having me. And uh, sorry I couldn't make it, but congratulations on the one-year anniversary. That was just uh, just last Saturday, today being the 17th of June. The 15th of June was your... Uh, was your anniversary right yeah yeah how was yeah. that how did it go that was great yeah yeah sure. we had a great turnout um we're always surprised to see, to see how much support we receive from the, the people of bellingham and surrounding areas i don't know why that is but it, i think all three <laughs> of us owners were just anytime we're open and someone comes in we're just like wow people come <laughs> this is great <laughs> yeah yeah especially today that's not necessarily a guaranteed thing it doesn't feel like it is yeah you know, certainly in the brewing industry and the cider thing being so new in town and yeah we, we just we never know what to expect because this mm-hmm. is not it's uncharted territory it feels yeah yeah i mean it seems like you guys definitely had like the vision of the coming cider boom that has that has happened it's manifested um were you the first ones no, technically no. no. Uh, Bellingham Cider Company opened a right. few months before we okay, did. Yeah. Right, right, and then there's Honeymoon. Um, yeah, Ciderhead. of course. Yeah, Honeymoon, yeah. of course. Robert and... Uh, Murphy and... Murphy. Yeah. Murphy. Yeah. Murphy and Barbara. Right. Uh, shout out to, to Robert as well. Since I'm not a huge cider guy, um, I definitely I reached out to him. Like, what are some what are some questions that, that maybe I should ask? You know, what, what, uh, what are some of the things that, that you would find important? And one of those... Uh, just wondering what trends have you noticed in the past year concerning your customer base? I mean, you were saying that, that people come, which is great, uh, in the old dry versus sweet preference, uh, debate. Do you notice that any of that is still happening? That people are coming in and be like, I only want a dry cider. I only want a sweet cider. Or are people open to different things these days? I think. I think what I've noticed, what we've all noticed and we've become surprised about is that people think they want a sweeter cider and then they try a drier cider and they prefer it. Mm-hmm. That was a, a shock to us. When, when we first started planning this uh, business, we did a lot of market research and we determined based on our research that sweet ciders were selling better nationally mm-hmm. and in the market. And so when we were first writing our first, our first recipes, we definitely included a semi-sweet cider. We would we were never interested in making a full-on sweet sugary cider, but mm-hmm. we thought, well, we'll do a semi-sweet one for yeah, those sweet who being relative. Yeah, very relative. Yeah. So um, 
our one of our first cans that we released was our semi-sweet cider and it did it did fairly well it's still in the market right now but it was not selling nearly as much as the dry was and so we um reconfigured our thoughts and decided to pull that cider Mm -hmm. and make room for a different uh, fruited cider which is the elderberry cider is the one we have uh, Mm -hmm. that replaced the semi-sweet and um yeah, talk, and now and when we get data reports from uh, some of the local chain stores and, and national reports from uh, like Nielsen data reports and stuff like that, we're now seeing that Dry is outselling all sweet ciders. So that, that yeah. makes sense to me. I think uh, you know it's almost the same with white wine. You know, people say they want a sweeter Chardonnay, but really they like dry yeah um and rosé is big now so the kind of sparkling dry i guess that makes sense to me i certainly like a drier cider um do you do the three of you agree on any particular style like do you guys have a favorite uh like a favorite one that that we produce Mm -hmm. um or even just a style so we tend to gravitate, all three of us, uh, gravitate towards more acidic and drier ciders over um, like less acidic dry ciders or, or semi-sweet ciders. My partners both really love the cucumber jalapeno cider that we make because they really like spicy foods. Yes, yeah, I like that Spice one. goes on everything that these guys eat. Yeah. Uh, and I am not uh, as much of a spice lover. I do enjoy a little bit, but... Mm-hmm. Like the cucumber jalapeno cider we make, I, I drink it once in a while, but it's definitely not my go-to cider. Yeah, more of a quality control thing. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Whereas they they'll drink that one regularly. Yeah. Um, so we do differ on that one, but uh, stylistically, overall, we we all agree and have an accord uh, that we want drier, slightly more acidic ciders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, speaking of the blends, I I really like those. I like the jalapeno infused one as well. I had the pineapple cider uh, the last time I was there. Um, it, it's, it seems like there's a parallel to that and what we're seeing going on in the brewing world right now, where you're seeing the, you know, peanut butter stouts and the Count Chocula porters and, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> raspberry coffee, you know, espresso stouts and just some pretty crazy stuff. And there's, you know, you, like everything, it, it can be, it can go too far. <laughs> but, um, you know, so for good or for evil, depending. And I'm wondering, what's your approach to those? Uh, and do you see them as as one-offs? Or is it something that's made to be replicated? Is each one kind of unique and a little snowflake and then it's gone when it's gone? Um, or is it something that you approach with the idea of this could become a regular product? That's a good question. And so we've put some mechanisms in place at our company to help us make these decisions. Mm-hmm. And that is our Randall or infusing uh, infusion program mm-hmm. that we um, that we run. We started uh, our first day of opening. We started doing this where we have every week we'll put on a different infused cider in the, on tap on tap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the purpose of that is to find out what works and what doesn't, mm-hmm. because we do. I do agree with you 100 percent that. Everybody wants something different every day. And if you don't put out a new product, it seems like weekly, then mm-hmm. you lose a little traction in the in the market. Yeah, stagnant has become a, a terrible word. Yeah, yeah, it really has, which um, maybe we'll talk about that later because I do have some thoughts about sure, that. But um, yeah, so our, our, we've done 50, 
more than 52. I think we're in like our 53rd or 54th infusion. And we've learned a great deal um, over the last year about what works in cider and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. Things that sound really good or maybe uh, don't taste that great with cider or flavors that we thought would be easy to get turned out to be really difficult, like peaches. It's really tough to get the the aroma and the flavor like mango. of peach. Yeah, yeah mango is the same yeah. thing. It's so challenging. Just, just really quick for anyone who doesn't know, a Randall is a device that you can pack full of anything, anything from hops to fruit to anything like that. And you're not doing, you're not doing anything to the batch of cider itself. You're running the cider alone through this device, which once it comes out into the, into the glass is infused with these flavors. Yeah. Just in case someone didn't yeah. know what a Randall was. Yeah. That's good. To so, which is, that. which is a really good idea because you're not, potentially uh, putting into jeopardy what's your system size Percent. seven barrels uh 40 40 holy shit yeah. <laughs> you're not putting 40 barrels of uh of product into jeopardy yeah which is would be an, a very expensive yeah disaster so anyway we we, we do have a, a five barrel experimental system too that we mm -hmm. put in um right at the beginning so that we could do some smaller batch stuff but even to do 155 gallons is a commitment yeah. for us. And it's so, expensive. yeah, yeah, especially with fruits. I mean, fruits mm -hmm. and spices and those, those things can cost a lot of money over Absolutely. time. Yeah, that's why those beers are, or ciders often cost more. Like, why well, are they charging a dollar more? Yeah. Like, so they can keep the profit margin. Right. So, our goal has been to uh, produce something on the Randall, to do an infusion. Uh, we do one a week. And if something works really well, then we'll we'll note that in our notes, and then we'll bring it back maybe another two or three times throughout you know every couple of months, and see did we still get the same um, feedback from the customers? Did we still like it? And then if it if it's something we love, then we'll go ahead and ramp it up, mm -hmm. which is exactly what happened with the cucumber jalapeno cider. So that's you're making entire batches of that. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, because that one seemed to work really well, so mm -hmm. we went into pineapple, the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, we've bottled pineapple uh, last year, and we produce that as a regular uh, cider now. Nice. Yeah, I've only had it on tap. It was good. I mean, it was amazing. It tasted, you know, it, I like, one thing that I like about pineapple stuff is, is you get that acidity uh, from the pineapple itself. And uh, yeah, I like that dry kind of tart. Yeah. Tartness, but without it being tart or tangy. Yeah. So it still tastes like a cider. Or overpowering, which is what we, we see a lot in the, the national brands. The I shouldn't probably mention specific mm -hmm. brands, but you know the ones that are out there that do fruits. Mm -hmm. And it seems like all you can taste is that fruit. Right. So many ciders and some beers, too, are like that, too. I was going to say beer can suffer from that same thing. Yeah. Our, our philosophy has been that whatever fruit or spice or vegetable, whatever it is that we add to our cider... It should only complement the apple characteristics that are in cider, not right. overpower them. Right. So that's why we get a lot of comments on our pineapple is a good example. People say, well, you know, I, the pineapple's there, but it's not very strong. It's like, well, yeah, because you can, yeah, it's a you can taste the apples now, too. Yeah. yeah, if you wanted pineapple juice or if you wanted fermented stuff, go get a tapache. You know, exactly. Make tapache. It's super easy. Yeah. Um, I remember reading early on uh, about... Uh, the potential of a barrel program. Is that something that you guys have already started? I know you certainly have the space. You've got an amazing space. Um, have, have you done anything like that or are you doing it on a smaller scale right now? 
definitely a smaller scale. We're just starting to develop our, our barrel program, which is one of our goals. We do we want to have a pretty extensive line of barrel lead ciders available. I think we've done we're on our third our third barrel lead cider right now. Barrel leads number three is what we call it. Mm-hmm. Custom name. <laughs> and uh, we also have been doing a barrel swap program with Eric Jorgensen from the North Fork Brewery. Mm-hmm. And that that's really exciting. I think yeah. out of all the ciders we're doing right now, that one is yeah. the most exciting. Well, he's doing the most exciting stuff out he there, I, I would argue. I oh, love, yeah. I love Eric. He's the he's the mad scientist of our yeah. of Whatcom County for sure. Yeah, I I say this almost every uh, episode, but I'm so glad that he's finally getting the recognition that he deserves because for so long he was just this, yeah. this crazy guy out there you know, quietly doing amazing things and just turning North Fork into this destination. I mean, it always was, but in his 20 years there, it's a 180 from. From what it used to be definitely so. yeah it is well deserved all, yeah. all the recognition he's yeah. getting now yeah he's a rock star now and it's yeah. so great to see yeah it, it's such a um it's so humbling and such a privilege to be able to work with people like him yeah. who are just smart beyond you know yeah. he most is a people. student of beer that's he another really thing is. i've said a lot and he's just the nicest guy yeah. ever i mean you got to love somebody that his first instinct is just to come and hug you yeah <laughs> yeah we have much love for the North Fork. And then right after that, you got to try this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's been, uh, do we want to talk about that barrel swap program yes. at all? Yeah, love to. It's, it's really fun. So what, um, what we did is we get, we have some barrels from Brian Carter Cellars, uh, which is on the east side, some Cabernet Sauvignon barrels and American White Oak. And we've, we ended up with about six of those. And uh, we filled one of them with a semi-sweet a uh, blend of, of apples and let that ferment out and s- held it for uh, three or four months or something. And then we, when we emptied the barrel, we left a you know, good amount in the barrel and then we drove it out to Eric's and he took the barrel out and he uh, brewed a Brett Saison, you know, light kind of lighter shade of ale. I forget what the name of it was. Oh, we called it the giant fork. That's right. Oh yeah. 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 And uh, so, yeah, he brewed this, you know, mixed culture, delicious concoction into this barrel. And then he emptied that barrel, left a little bit of the beer in it for us. And we brought it back to our place and we filled it up again with another blend of apples. And uh, we just got done packaging that. And it is amazing. Nice. That's exciting. We didn't have to do any, you know, we didn't have to pitch it or inoculate anything. Just what all the bugs that were in there did their work, did their job and Mm -hmm. just made this delicious, soury, tart. Uh, I'm cider. excited to try it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that'll be in bottles or cans? Uh, no, it won't be packaged. We'll just it have it on packaged. draft. Okay. Yeah. All right. We're all still right. definitely in the definitely experimental phase of all this. So. Yeah. When is that going to be on? We released it for our anniversary party oh, this weekend. Okay. Yeah. So it is now on tap. Nice. Yeah, I love the idea of the barrel swap program because you see it. You know, a lot of times, like, oh, we got this barrel from blah blah blah, or we got this barrel, but then it just is there and it stays there and it's. There's no back and forth. Um, I like the idea of, well, you add this to it, and then I'll add this to it. And then as the barrel changes, so do the things that go into it and come out of it. Yeah. I like that, that idea a lot. Uh, you mentioned at one point the expense and, uh, and the sourcing of apples 
for your product, um, assuming you guys don't have any acreage or own any farms or anything like that. <laughs> how do you accomplish the the sourcing of your apples? I mean, it's not like ordering sacks of grain from from BSG uh, or some warehouse, I would think. I guess there's probably a lot of homework and research and time and effort that goes into deciding which apples you want, what types, where they're sourced and all that. Could you just talk a bit about that and how yeah. you guys approach that? Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of apples out there in the world. I think there's a, at least 4,000 known varietals of, of apples. Some with hilarious names. It's crazy the names that apples have. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's not like, yeah, you would never, if you're just reading a list of apple names, you would never mm-hmm. assume we're talking about apples. <laughs> right. It sounds like, you know, people from history cartoons cartoons yeah, yeah just <laughs> yeah. strangest names but uh, yeah there is a, there's a ton of apples um, unfortunately there's not a lot of cider apples uh, in the area there's a small handful of them but not nearly enough yet and we need we're excited to pump up the industry and that will encourage um, yeah, the demand is there now yeah the demand's there and so i think farmers are going to start planting more and more rows of you know bittersweet and bitter sharp apples which is what what we really want in cider mm-hmm. so how does that different from you know say uh, pink lady like what's the difference between you know you would think that having a sugary apple would be a good thing because it's more sugars and and therefore it's it's more fermentable but that's not necessarily the case and a good eating apple isn't necessarily a good cider apple that's very that true yeah uh, if honeycrisp is a great uh, example of that I think it's one of the best tasting apples mm-hmm. to eat and it's crispy and it's That's sweet and huge and, but it does, it makes a pretty lousy cider apple. <laughs> it's, it, had, it doesn't have a lot of, um, uh, acidity in it. It, the sugar content, while it's really sweet on the tongue, it, it actually doesn't have that much sugar in it compared to some other, uh, cider specific apples. We use, uh, the metrics of bricks, B-R-I-X for our, um, sugar, Content. You'll have to edit this one for sure. <laughs> yeah, for well, the uh, yeah for the sugar content, we go off of bricks. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like it, it's in the same vein as a specific gravity reading. Yeah. It just tells you what the actual sugar levels are Correct. of the particular varietal. Yeah, in a lot of uh, store or dessert or culinary apples that you see in the store, like Galas and Fujis and Honeycrisp and all that, those bricks will hover between you know maybe eleven and thirteen bricks. Which is, you know, it's a fair amount of sugar, but you can get a really, really good cider apple having upwards of 20 bricks in it. Oh, wow. And you taste those uh, cider apples and you can't taste the sweetness in them like you would a Honeycrisp because of the acidity is so high in a lot of, in some apples that it just masks the sugar and the sweetness. Is that, what type of sugar is it? I mean, you know, there's glucose and sucrose. Fructose, I believe. Fructose. Yeah. yeah. Of course. You might want to that double check sense. that one before. That makes sense, but, though. Fructose is more. Yeah. Um, fruit yeah. and stuff. <laughs> so when you know looking for apples um, for our modern style ciders like our dry and our elderberry and the ones that we package and, and make uh, big batches of we use a blend of traditional apples and culinary or dessert apples. So we use a four apple blend and the way we get our apples is we call our supplier um, which is over on the east side we request a certain amount of gallons of juice and they pull the apples that are specific to our custom blend. And then they blend these apples to get the right ratio of acidity and sugar. And then uh, the apples are pressed, blended, and then shipped to us the next day. 
So we do use fresh press apples. There's, nice. um, it's not, they're not, it's not old juice that's been frozen and laying around for a while. Old juice. You should make like a strong cider or something. Just call it old juice. Old juice. <laughs> <laughs> um, how so often? How often do you do that? How often does that happen? Just for for a scale. I mean, you're making forty barrels at a time usually. Yeah, that's a lot. That's we, a lot of juice. Yeah, we usually try to. We usually bring in between fifteen hundred to three thousand gallons at a time mm -hmm. when we do our fermentations. Depends on what tanks are empty. Mm -hmm. Sometimes all of our tanks are empty, and we can buy a truckload of juice. Other times. You know, we only have one or two tanks empty, and we'll just use totes of juice. Oh, okay. So, you so do. yeah, so that's the two ways you can get juice. You can get tanker trucks. I was just assuming truck. Yeah, yeah that's the ideal way to go. Obviously, you're buying bulk; it's a lot less expensive. Mm -hmm. But you have to have that that room, the space to put mm -hmm. the juice. And we often find ourselves in a position where yeah, forty barrels is a lot, but it's not a, a tanker truck. Right. Yeah, that's <laughs> our fermenters are twelve hundred and forty gallons about. Mm -hmm. So if we have two empty fermenters, then yeah, we can get a, a truck. Otherwise, if we're doing... And does it literally go straight from the truck into the into the vessel? Yeah, the only intermediate piece is a heat exchanger right? in between. But yeah, just straight out of the truck or, or out of the tote and into the tanks. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy to think. It's, it's such a similar world, but it's also such a different world. And, you know, all of you come from beer backgrounds essentially you all worked at Kulshan, yeah, correct? That's right. I mean, that's where you met even though you left at different times and came together mm -hmm. as, as a triumvirate later yeah. um with the uh, with, with so much of it being the same uh there's also like we were just talking about some pretty glaring differences uh talk a bit about your approach to making cider and how it differs from beer because a lot of people pretty much myself included only know the beer side of of production like this and and how you think if at all but i'm assuming that it does that background in beer makes your products unique yeah um i think what we've what you learn about as a brewer or being working in a brewery is that a, a brewer is really a professional, I mean, please take no offense to any of the brewers out there. I think everyone can agree to this, that you're... Uh, We're drinking a beer right now. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to offend everybody's well, cider sensibilities, but... Uh. Um, but they're really uh, professional cleaners. <laughs> I mean, most of the job is cleaning and mm -hmm. sanitizing, and uh, there, it's such a small percentage of your time is spent actually making beer. Mm -hmm. It's that the brew process takes, you know, it's a matter of hours per week versus... Versus cleaning is pretty much every other moment of the day is mm -hmm. spent cleaning. A brewer friend of mine used to say, if you ain't wet, you ain't working. Yeah, very true. <laughs> so um, our our head cider maker and co-owner of the company, Abe, Abraham Ebert, he is the, he's the most detail-oriented person I've ever worked with in my life <laughs> when it comes to cleaning and sanitization. And I think, you know, we've, we've, We've been around Washington and around the other states touring different ciders. We've seen a lot of different ciders. And of course, we've been into, you know, countless amount of breweries. And it's surprising how unsanitary a lot of places are. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, the quality of the product will match how the cleanliness of the plant. Absolutely. And Abe has brought with him from the brewing world uh, an idea of um, cleanliness unlike anyone I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. He's so particular about every single thing. If anything touches the floor, it's now a dirty. It needs to go into the, the caustic bath. Or the hoses have to be lined up perfectly straight. 
wound when they're wound up on the hose hangers. And, but it's that attention to detail that helps him create such a superior product. Absolutely. And we are very proud of our of our cidery and the cleanliness of it. And it gets cleaned, you know, multiple times a week. Everything shiny, spotless. Yeah, I can attest. That. I mean, I've only been back into the back twice, and both times I just I remember thinking this is like a hospital. It's clean. It's important. Very clean. Oh, it's super important. I I think uh, we certainly don't underestimate the importance of cleanliness. We think it's part of what makes our cider uh, so good. And uh, in in addition to that, the process of brewing is very different than than making cider. Of course, we have no hot side. We don't brew cider. So there's there's no... it doesn't get boiled. Yeah, there's no hot side to it. In fact, we have to cool things down before they go into... Yeah. Much like beer when you knock out. I was going to ask you about that. You said when you said it went through a heat exchanger, I was like, "Mm, I guess that makes sense if it's a hot summer day and it's coming in. You don't want 90 degree juice coming in. Not that it necessarily would be, but you need it at a specific temperature for the yeast to be happy. Exactly. Yeah. And when we get our juice, uh, whether it's on a tote or in a truck, it usually comes in about 34 degrees which is not a fermentable temperature. Mm-hmm. So we do need to raise that temperature. Oh, you heat it up. We do heat it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we run it through the heat yeah, exchanger. Right. Heat and exchangers can go both ways. It's yeah, an exchanger. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we get it up to about uh, 70 degrees before we inoculate. And that and obviously really helps the yeast do its job. Yeah, nice. Well, hey, let's uh, let's take a little break, a little sponsor break, and uh, and we'll come back and, and do another round. Sounds good. All right. Skagit Valley Malting is an independent local craft malt house dedicated to sustainable farming practices and the use of superior maritime grains. Imported and commodity malts make a lot of beer, but craft malt makes craft beer. Using their patented technology, Skagit offers breweries a diverse variety of customizable malts that offer distinction in a crowded marketplace. So why import? They can provide what you're looking for right here, together. All right. We're back. It's magic. <laughs> um, when, when we left off, we were just talking about uh, how you guys had come from a, a brewing background. And uh, just, let's talk about them for a while, because it's not just you that is Lost mm-hmm. Giants. Um, there are two other co-owners, at least two other co-owners. Mm-hmm. Just, it's just the three of you, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Abe and Brad. And then, of course, you have a whole... Uh, you have people that that actually make the magic happen on a day-to-day basis as well, like front-of-line people. Um, how did you guys come together? Let's, I guess just talk a bit about, about who your partners are and how it came to be that you decided to join forces and, and make Lost Giants happen. Yeah. Um, so when the idea came up to, to switch careers or do a you know, lateral move towards cider from beer, uh, at first, I didn't have an expectation of who was going to join me in this this adventure. Um, I, I knew who I wanted, but I, I, it didn't seem feasible at first. Mm-hmm. And those the people I wanted was was Abe and Brad. I've been working with them very closely. We worked hand by hand in hand for you know four years or so at Colson, and mm-hmm. we became not only great uh, professional colleagues but good friends as well. Over that time, we we'd hung out hang out all the time on the weekends and our families would get together and um i i really wanted to be in business with these two individuals because they are just fantastic at what they do uh, Abe being uh you know a, a brewer and cider maker he's a fermentation expert and he, you know if it's fermentation it's his gig he's 
He's all about it. He loves yeah. it. He's passionate about it. Yeah, it's impressive how quickly he flipped the switch from... Because, again, I only know what I read, but he had never really made ciders on any kind of serious level before. That's he right. just kind of dabbled in it. Yeah. And to, to make that switch and just be like, okay, I'm going to shift gears entirely. It's, it's impressive. It takes skills. Especially when you're doing it on a public yeah, on a public level, <laughs> he's got guts. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he's you know he's he's such a professional at his job and his craft, and so passionate. And then Brad, um, who's also extremely passionate about what he does, and he's he's the tap room manager. So anything that happens in the front of the house, that's his that's his domain. He's in mm-hmm. charge of all that, and he's also the brand manager. So mm-hmm. any of our He's a great people person. He is too. Yeah. Super personable. Yeah. He's very wise. Uh, I've, always, I've always respected that about Brad. Be, wise beyond his years. He's just kind hearted, mm-hmm. has a, a big heart, and really good at what he does with the art and everything. So it was a perfect fit because those, those are the two skills that I really lacked is, you know, being a fermentation scientist and brand management. I'm not, not really good at either of those things. So, what is your background? What, what was. I mean, what, what, I guess, what is your role? Yeah. Like, what do I bring to this party? Um, <laughs> I, I, I've been working in operations for a long time in, in just basic management. So I really like processes and I like building stuff and I like putting together projects and seeing things from conception to final product. Uh, I love that, the whole process of it. Mm-hmm. And so I do all that for the cidery and I also am the assistant cider maker on some days when, when Abe needs help. Head assistant cider maker. Head assistant cider maker, right. There's no one below me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I also do sales, um, business, you know, general day-to-day business stuff. And we also have uh, a wonderful woman named Joyce who happens to be my mom. She's <laughs> our uh, CFO and, you know, bookkeeper, accountant person. So she takes care of all the books, all the P&Ls and balance sheets and uh, payroll uh, taxes. She, so she takes care of all that, which I really hate to do that stuff. Yeah. I don't enjoy it. Right. Right. And, and she, it's, and it's also crucial that you have somebody that you can just unilaterally trust. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Without any question, it's <laughs> yeah. instant don't trust. Have to go back and second guess. Yeah. Anything. And she's got 40 some odd years worth of business uh, management experience. She's nice. She's worked for really large companies before multi-million dollar companies and the small guys that really, you know, sole proprietorship. She's, She's seen it all, done it all. Books are books. Books are books, and she yeah. she has a knack for it. She knows yeah. how to run a business like no one else. Yeah, nice. So yeah, couldn't can't do without those three uh, individuals in our lives, and of course our our better halves for uh, Brad, Abe, and I. You know, starting a business, you don't you don't have a paycheck. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've heavily relied on our wonderful partners that have taking care of us for this last year. I have lived that. Yeah. It's without them. I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. this wouldn't be possible. Right. That's, and that's, that's interesting. There's so many critical, crucial pieces to these puzzles to mm-hmm. make it work. It's not just Brad, Abe and I making this happen. We can't do this without our, our partners. We can't do it without, you know, uh, my mom coming in and helping us. We can't do it without the help of, you know, folks like uh, Boundary Bay, you know, all the, all the people over at Boundary Bay have given us, unconditional support over, you know, over this last year. Um, we just can't do it without those people. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a weird dynamic being in a business kind of thing like that, because not only are you partners, but you're so closely tied together. It's like being married to each individual person, or at least having some kind of a relationship like that. 
where everybody has to be in the same mind hive, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. you know, everybody has to have one goal and understand their role in that goal. Yeah. Yeah. When you, and when all the stars align and you bring just the right people together, uh, great things can happen. Mm -hmm. I think that's what we're experiencing right now. Yeah. Yeah. I equate it to, especially the bigger, the, the bigger, the group, um, the more this analogy works. It's like, uh, films being made. There's so many, I mean, think about how long the credits are. <laughs> If you really were to think about it, it's amazing that any film ever gets made and released. And then if it's great, that's even more unicorn-like. And right. I think the same thing goes with business. You can have a great idea, you can have great people involved, but for just one, if one little pebble is out of place, it's not gonna happen or it's not going to work. Yeah, very true. Uh, so, we really lucked out. So, congratulations <laughs> on that. <laughs> Cheers, action. So we're drinking Cheers. the uh, we're drinking the pineapple cider right now. Um, and you were talking earlier about how this was something that started in the Randall program, and then eventually you ramped it up, and this is like a full batch dedicated pineapple cider. Yeah. Um, just talk a bit about the cider and what uh, and what it is, and and what makes it unique. Yeah. So our, our, our uh, goals for this particular cider was to create a fruited cider that uh, has pineapple flavor, but without it dominating your mouth and being too sweet, too much pineapple. So we started adding you know small amounts of the pineapple to our blends and kept adding and adding and adding until we found that perfect sweet spot that we thought was just perfect. Mm -hmm. And that ended up being around a pound, maybe a pound and a quarter per gallon of juice. Which is at about what? 13 bricks or no that's the final right yeah yeah i think this one finished out like a six six something okay and what do they generally start at like what's a what's a starting bricks point uh it we're most of our ciders are hovering between 13 to 15 okay somewhere in there all right depends on the apples we use a costa rican pineapple for this one we found that particular pineapple was one that's available number one mm -hmm. pineapple's not easy to get believe it or not <laughs> right on that <laughs> on that kind of scale yeah yeah right and yeah so we use a we use a puree of pineapple it's just so much easier to deal with than oh. hacking pineapples ourselves because we just don't have the time to do that so yeah. uh, oregon fruit products down in oregon mm -hmm. they've got a nice selection of different purees and so i saw that they just came out with key lime Oh yeah, that's right. I saw that I too. I want to. I want to get some. I want to get. That could be interesting. As, as far as I know, they don't sell it on a homebrew level, though. I think it's just, you know, a, a gallon or like forty something ounces of. Uh, yeah, this of juice. The smallest container I've seen from them, I think, is uh, about four and a half gallons. Yeah, almost yeah, five it's gallon bag. Geared towards commercial. Yeah. Production. Yeah. Which is too bad. I mean, I understand. Like, make the money. You know, do the things, but. Uh, I would love to play around with some of their some of their stuff, uh, but anyway, I, sorry, interrupted. Yeah, um, yeah, pineapple cider. Yeah, so um, yeah, so ours uh, we dried it all the way out, so it's completely you know it's, all the fermentable sugars are gone, and then we added some extra pineapple at the end to give it a little more aroma in that fresh pineapple flavor, mm -hmm. and we think it turned out great. This this is a um, talking about this pineapple encourages me to talk a little bit about the art of of uh, fermentation. Mm -hmm. Not not the science of it, but the art factor of it. And I hope that a lot of people realize that 
there's not a lot of bad beers and bad ciders. There's just probably a lot more beers or ciders you don't like. Mm-hmm. Doesn't necessarily mean they're bad. And we hear this a lot from customers who come in and maybe say, oh, well, you know, I, I had this cider and it was a terrible cider. It's like, well, maybe, maybe it wasn't a terrible cider. Maybe you just didn't like it, that cider. Mm-hmm. And so we, as, as part of our outreach to the, the public, uh, we consider education a, a high priority of that. And we try to encourage customers and, and anyone in the industry to look at our craft as an art. And just like art galleries in town, there's a dozen art galleries and it's hard to say that one is worse than another. It's just not your style, not your flavor. It doesn't mean it's bad. So, you know, careful when you're calling yeah. out other breweries or cideries saying it's a bad product. It, it might just be your perception of it, Absolutely. your opinion of it. And it's a, it'd be a shame to give people a bad name for, for no reason. Especially with uh, social media. Yeah. You can oh, yeah. really just fry somebody yeah that's a really good point and i'm really happy that you one think that way and that you brought it up because that is an excellent point i mean remember think back to the early chuckanut days people were just trashing them you're like oh they make terrible beer they make terrible beer it's like i don't know man that that vienna lager is pretty good you know that's they're not ipas they're not making that and of course, time has proven that they make world-class beers. I was just oh, yeah. in Cologne uh, about a month ago and trying the Kolsch, and was like, yeah, you know, I would put Chuck Nuts up against this any yeah. day. I mean, any we're time. so spoiled to have that here. And it's radically different from anything anyone else is doing, but they would just get trashed. Oh, yeah. yeah and it's just like, well, no. Well, if you want to light up uh, myself and my partner's Say something bad about chucking it. Cause yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we go instant defense mode when we hear, you know, people say, oh, I don't like chucking that's not very good. It's like, you have no idea what you were talking yeah, about. Yeah. You just. Chucking it is the best. Yeah. Maybe you don't like it. And I try, I do my absolute best because I'm also very uh, hypersensitive to that. I will say if, you know, cause I try a lot of different people's beers and, you know, home brews and commercial stuff and, I'll always try to be very clear. It's like, this isn't really my thing. So I'm not a big fan of it. But that does not mean that this is not a great beer or a really good beer. You know, it's the same as music. You know, you can be oh, like, yeah. oh, they suck. It's like, but do they? <laughs> you know, like, no, they're, you know, that's that's pretty good. You or I don't like it. But that's just personal preference. Yeah. That's not... It doesn't have anything to do with their talent ability. Right. Um, and same thing with, with the quality. Yeah. So that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up uh, because I, I firmly believe that as well. Cool. So, um, well, let's do some, uh, let's do some loose questions. Get away from all this seriousness about <laughs> quality and partnerships and, and business and all that feelings. All, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, this is all about your feelings. Sorry. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm adjusting some of these because you're the first non-beer person that I've Ooh, spoken with. Uh, privileged. Yeah. Oh, that's such a high honor. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look look at these production values. Come on. <laughs> um, 
What's your, uh, usually it's what's your favorite beer to brew, but what's your f- favorite product to brew? And this could be on a, on a home level or, or a commercial level. So far, that's actually, I can answer that one pretty easily. The, the two, I'll have to do two of them. So yeah. please pardon me for that. But we had, it's, it's your public that's going to have to forgive you. Not okay. me. Please forgive me public. <laughs> um, last year we did two different batches of cider that we, uh, the apples came from Bellwood Acres uh, up in Linden. And to me, those are the two most exciting ones. Number one, they turned out phenomenal. They were, I think, the two best ciders we've ever made. Uh, one was the Boz Coop John of Gold uh, Dry Blend. Just just those two apples. That dual. should have just been the name right there, Boz Coop John of Gold. It was. Yeah, that's, that was the name. <laughs> right, <laughs> we, well, we're not very clever ignorance. with names, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we usually name our ciders dry and semi-sweet and Boz Coop John of Gold. <laughs> Yeah, those those were just those were it was delicious. And then we also did a uh, rosé cider, a traditional rosé cider made from red fleshed apples that we got from Bellwood Acres. And so, in addition to them turning out to be really good ciders, we we those apples came ten you know they're twelve miles away from our cidery. Mm-hmm. That's cool, pretty handy. We we don't have the privilege of having an on-site orchard like some other cideries do. So this is as close as we can get, and we are very proud to be able to produce something that was grown locally. So I just love those two. Yeah. And nice. then in the rosé, just in, uh, got a gold medal at a international cider competition. So nice. we're double proud of that one. Absolutely. Congratulations. Thank That's you. great. It's good to, it's always good to see, see local boys do good. Yeah. <clears throat> Can't wait to bring it back again this year. Yeah. Nice. After the crop's done, we'll definitely be doing the rosé and Boscoop John Gold again. Boscoop John Gold. I just want to say that over and over. It's a fun word. Boscoop John Gold. Boscoop. <laughs> What's uh, and you might have answered this with that, but uh, what, what's your favorite uh, product to drink that we've created? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Boscoop John Gold is my favorite okay. one that we ever Got you made. To say Boscoop John Gold again. <laughs> Fell right into that one. <laughs> of the uh, of the uh, so that was a you know one off cider, just a single mm-hmm. one one time cider. But our of all the ones that we carry full time, uh, I think our dry our standard dry cider mm-hmm. is. This is my other favorite. Yeah, I like that a lot. And again, uh, you know, I think we were talking about this beforehand. I've always considered myself not really a cider guy. I don't think we talked about this on on air. But going, I've been out to to your place uh, only a few times. Uh, unfortunately, you have the same work hours that I do, uh, like we mentioned. But uh, so I don't make it out as often as I'd like. But I, I, every time I go, I try pretty much all of the all of the ciders between me and whoever's there, and. Uh, I've always been, well, at first, it was like, oh, I, I like that. Oh, I, li- I like that, too. Oh, I like that. And then by the end of it, it's like, well, I, I guess I'm a cider guy. You know, like, <laughs> I guess I like ciders. Like, I can't say anymore, like, oh, I'm not really into cider. Um, yeah, so. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we love to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine that's kind of a unique and, and special thing when when a beer nerd like myself comes in it's like ah oh, i really and genuinely mean it like i really like your products yeah. so well, thank you very much for the compliment the cucumber pineapple habanero love that because <laughs> i am a spice guy oh yeah, yeah. so on um, uh, to flip it a little bit what's your guilty pleasure and this could be anything drink wise uh, i i drink a lot of rainier yeah and i, I don't feel guilty about it i love that beer mm-hmm I think I'll always love it. I always have loved it. And that's what's in my refrigerator at home. Uh, 
I don't drink IPAs. I don't like IPAs. Mm-hmm. I, I burnt myself out uh, back in the you know twenty twelve to twenty fifteen IPA run that the Double world IPAs, had. Triple IPAs. Yeah, I yeah. just I drink too many of them or something. I don't know, but I can't I can't handle IPAs. Anymore. Yeah, yeah. Pale ale is about as as strong as I go. Um, this thing that's bubbling behind me, it's probably about fifty IBUs. Um, yeah, I just don't. Yeah. I don't do them much anymore. I like the session IPAs mm-hmm. quite a bit. The brute, I you know, <clears> uh, <throat> Eric did a brute um, little, last little fall. Brute. Loved yeah. that one. I did too. I can drink that. Yeah, yeah. That was no problem. Yeah, it's not the. For me, it's usually more the crystal malts. I'm not a fan of the crystal malts in an IPA, um, and just the the brutal IBU levels. Yeah, it's like come on. When's okay. enough enough? When is enough enough? And I think that it finally is becoming enough of course now are the arguments going to be like when is too much booberry going to be enough when is too much count chocula and peanut butter going to be too much i have a feeling that this is going to be a short-lived i think that it's a short trend yeah Yeah, hopefully on the same on the same level as glitter beer yeah um yeah if you need a gimmick to sell your product you're not doing it right i think you're right (laughs) (laughs) uh do you remember the first cider that you ever had? I remember the first cider I ever had that I loved. Okay. I don't remember the very first cider I ever yeah. had. But, um, Usually beer is the question, but yeah. and you can answer that too, but since you do cider, I'm just curious about It's about fitting, that. yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a bunch of years ago, uh, Abe, actually, um, my business partner and I, we were over in, uh, in the Met Howe. Doing some climbing and messing around, and there was there was a cidery out there called the it's the Methal Valley Cider House or something like that. You cider people are just get the name thing going. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he took me over there after a day of you know messing around, and um, that was the first time I had a really dry, really dry cider. And at the first drink, I was reluctant, and then by the time I got halfway through the glass, I was loving it. And I made a point to come back to that spot the next time we were in there and tried all the ciders that they had. Definitely just fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. Ended up buying a keg and bringing it back home because I was blown away. I literally did not know cider could taste that good. Yeah. And yeah, so that was that was my introduction into cider, and that you know that was that was only like six or seven years ago or something. It wasn't that long ago. I just have to ask: Do you remember the first beer that you ever had? I do. It was an MGD uh, out of a bottle. (laughs) <laughs> Pretty sure I was under 21. Eh, you know, the I mean, statute of limitations been. are done. Yeah, yeah, that was a long time ago. And I did. I hated beer when huh. I first started. I remember my first beer. I did not like it. I drank it because you know I was yeah. getting weird looks from everybody. So right, it makes I drank fun. it. Yeah, um, but I, I didn't like it for a long time. Uh, <laughs> this is so embarrassing. But I drink. <laughs> I drink wine coolers. Uh-huh. Like when my I'd go out with my sister to go to a party or something. and she'd have to stop and find wine coolers for me because beer just did not work in me. Right. And then, I don't know, something changed. Uh, I had, I think it was like a Killian's Red or something. And then it, I just, it just switched. All of a sudden, I liked beer, and then I started drinking the, the micro beers mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, did you grow up around here? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, in Bellingham. Oh, in Bellingham. Yeah. It's oh, nice. For most of my life, I mean, for the majority of my life, mm-hmm. I've been here. So, yeah, after a Killian's Red, boy, that just changed everything, and then... Then of course I discovered Boundary Bay, and then mm-hmm. you know soon after or later in Chuckanut and yeah. St. Paulie's Girl, you know all these other 
Yeah, it's funny that you savers. mentioned wine coolers. I hadn't thought about wine coolers for a long time, but I was uh, coming of age, shall we say, in the in the Bartles and James oh, area. Yeah. You know, thank you for your support. And uh, I remember drinking a lot of those. I remember when Zima came out. <laughs> and that just seemed wrong to me. Zima's wrong. We tried that just like two summers ago. We bought a six-pack of Zima. It, it, just, it's around? Oh, it yeah. It exists? Yeah, yeah, we found some. Oh, my God. And it's as disgusting as you remember it being. Yes, I don't doubt it. <laughs> no, terrible. I'm thinking like 1986, 87. Um, wow. That's that's disturbing. Yeah, in a right. Way, that it's still. Around. Well, no. Think about it. It's like the OG seltzer, like the big seltzer craze yeah. is popular right now. That's that's like the OG one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You brew a beer and then you filter all the flavor out and you have Zima. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. What are we thinking? What is the point? Um, what's? Uh, I guess we haven't really talked about your um, background in not necessarily beer or cider production, but are, are you like a home brewer? Were you a home brewer or were you a, a cider maker already at home? Or were you just... Yeah, I'm ashamed, ashamed to say that I wasn't. Okay. No. All right. I, I mean, that's fine. Yeah. You know? <laughs> There's no shame in it. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the question still applies. Usually the, the question is, what's the beer that flipped the switch? Um, where you were like... I. Where, where whoever I'm talking to is like, I need to know how to, to do this, how to make it. But I guess for you, it's a kind of a, a more unique approach. Was there a cider or was there, what was the epiphany that, that made you think we should, I should do this on a commercial scale. Like I should start a business doing this. Um, Opportunity had a lot to do with it. Mm -hmm. There was a gap in the market in Bellingham to do this. And I knew that while I may not have the skills to to pull this off, I knew the people that did. And I knew what I could bring to the table and what adding the other pieces of the puzzle together, we can create this whole picture. And yeah, it was really opportunity. There was nothing in Bellingham. Nobody was doing this. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to be an entrepreneur and, and own do my own thing with, with, you know, some partners, something that we could call our own. And we really didn't want to do beer. Uh, I think we all got somewhat burnt out, a little bit burnt out in the whole, in the brewing industry. Uh, obviously Bellingham doesn't need another brewery. Well, we didn't want to offer Bellingham another brewery. People are still doing it and that's Mm -hmm. great. But I, um, I I feel there's a, there's a cap. If you're going to open up a brewery right now, there's going to be a cap to your size. The, the days of the regional breweries are over, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're going to have a, a brewery as big as Colson ever again in Bellingham. I just don't see that happening. Uh, whereas cider, there's no limits yet. There's there's no cap to the growth with cider in, in our town mm-hmm. versus brewing. And I so I, I, we thought we could capitalize on that yeah. and take advantage of the opportunity to be, you know, one of the very few ciders in Bellingham. Yeah, so that that this is a question that I haven't actually asked in a while, but where do you see the cider business going? I mean, what uh, I guess what do you see the projection being? Do you think it's going to take the same path that breweries have taken and just kind of level off or uh, I'm just talking I about that. that's a tough one. Cider yeah, does have, to tell. Yeah. yeah, it's so it's even though cider is actually 
been around in America longer than beer has technically. The, the very first alcohol production was, was cider in America. Mm-hmm. And then it took this hiatus until, what I want to say, like the early 2000s. And then it, national brands started making cider and it came back in this quick and fast wave. And it only lasted a couple of years. And I'm just I'm regurgitating what I've seen in like Nielsen reports. Um, in the, I think it was like the mid nineties or something, there was a quick surge of cider and then it died off again completely. And then in 2010, it started climbing up a little bit, uh, 13 climbing, 14, 15, 16, just climbing, climbing, climbing until you know, we're, where we're at today where it's, it's a three or 4% of the market overall alcohol market, which is incredibly small, but mm-hmm. beer is not more than, you know, or craft 12, beer is like yeah. 12, 13% yeah. too. So it's not that far behind. Mm-hmm. And the regional, regional and local producers are growing by double digits, 20, 30% growth in Oregon, Washington, uh, Montana, national brands are declining and they're in the negative single digits now. So if you look at a general report, you'll, you look at all cider sales, it looks like it's going down, but you look closer at the regional areas, uh, you know, pockets of the United States and it's up 20, 30%. Hmm. So like craft beer, which, you know, the big guys saw their numbers starting to decline back in the tens. Pretty heavy casualties. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think the same thing is happening with cider, where those bigger brands are, are going to start failing and the smaller regional brands are going to grow. Where that plateaus, I don't know. Yeah, I, it, it, that's, that just reinforces my mantra that smaller is better. Yeah. You know, as, if, you want, if you want to have flexibility and you want to have more fun with it, I guess, for that's a very loose thing to say, but... Yeah, I just want to be small. But then, how do you make money? You know, it's just that, it's it's tough. It's that whole that whole yeah. thing. Um, you, it was interesting to hear you say that there was a that there was a boom in the mid '90s, and then it kind of went away because we were talking earlier again. I don't remember if it was on mic or not about when I worked at the Pike and Merchant Van. That was the mid '90s. And I remember like Ospol and there was a couple others, but they were all English. They were all coming from England or, or at least Europe. I don't remember any being local. That was a long time ago though. So, you know, brains, yeah. but yeah, I just remember them being all around. And then I remember not seeing them anymore. Like I haven't seen Ospol in a long time. Maybe it's still there. I just haven't paid attention. I think it is. I think I've seen that. Yeah, but it's more, you know, the fruited ones that you were talking about earlier that are the bigger names that we won't mention, Um, which I I don't remember them anyway. So this is a, this is a kind of a unique question. Again, this comes from uh, Mr. Arzu and it's a really good question. I'm actually going to incorporate it into uh, all of these that I do now, but do you have a favorite food pairing that goes along with one of your products? Uh, I think that our our dry, our, our modern dry cider that we make is an excellent combination with any spicier foods or, or fish. And that's just my own personal feeling. I don't know. I'm sure everybody has their own opinion on what but blends well. But for me, are you familiar with social media? Every, everybody has their I own opinion. I've heard this yeah. somewhere. I see, yeah, maybe it was on the news. I heard that word. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, um, I, when I'm when I have a you know a Mexican meal or, or uh, tacos and stuff like that, I, I really like the dry cider. It plays mm-hmm. really well with it, and is in fish too. White fish mm-hmm. uh, cider, dry cider goes really well with that. When I'm drinking this pineapple cider, I am thinking of being in uh, Mexico and having an al pastor taco. Ooh, yeah, there you go. That's that that's where work. my brain that goes. <laughs> We've had yeah, our, um, the jalapeno cucumber. Uh, I've heard a lot of people comment about um, pairing that with with other spicier foods. And a couple of food trucks that we've worked with have used our cider in some of their sauces. I was going to say, like incorporating it into the food. Yeah, people do that. I'm I'm really uh, ignorant when it comes to foods in pairing i'm a real meat and potatoes guy i have nothing fancy in my life when it comes to food so uh, i'm probably the worst person to ask that question to <laughs> i pair rainier with everything <laughs> and and that's one thing it goes with it everything does. yeah it goes with everything i've said this many times but every beer or every alcoholic beverage has its place it does yeah. and rainier's in my belly yeah <laughs> <laughs> goes enter here um so uh i've one thing that i was excited to read about when i was doing the limited research that i was able to do on you uh before sitting down uh is that you're a backpacker and uh i am a backpacker and i as you like to take treats out with me when i go you know wait be damned i mean i'm not going to take a six pack of something if i'm going out for a nine day um, solo trip, but uh, but I'll take you know a flask of Manhattans maybe or or uh, on one ill-fated trip I took a bottle of Rochefort Ten, which was one of my favorite beers. It's Trappist beer. It's super strong. It's like you know eleven yeah. percent. And I remember cracking it open about halfway through, and it was so disappointing because it was not the right beer. For that it was thick it was heavy <laughs> it was warm it was strong it was hot outside oh, yeah. and uh and i it i love that beer but it was so disappointing it was like i should have brought just like a nice crisp pale ale or an english bitter or something like that and that would have been far more satisfying <laughs> um that's a shame so yeah no it was a bummer i mean i drank it don't get me wrong i'm just wondering what is your go-to treat beverage that you take out with you and just screw the weight like i'm taking this because i love it and i'm gonna want it at some point in here and i'm thinking more backpacking than like camping yeah uh sierra nevada pale (laughs) that's the that's my go-to if if i'm not sure of a choice then that's what i'll choose if it's available because it's it's one of the most fantastic beers ever made it's the same (laughs) all the time and there's a, you know, it's the reason I, w- I usually don't take Rainier's or something with me backpacking is because I do enjoy having a little bit more alcohol mm-hmm. content, you know, in, in the Sierra Nevada, it brings that. And it's, you know, obviously more flavorful mm-hmm. and it's, it's a perfect beer and it's worth its weight. It for is sure. a perfect beer. And now, and since they started doing it in cans, it oh, makes it even better. So much better. So I've much been hauling bottles for a long time. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to go back at, and listen to... Oh, that's that's a daunting task. But um, go back and listen to all of these because I am pretty sure that Sierra Nevada Pale Ale has gotten a shout out in every single <laughs> one of these that I've done. And uh, and it's just even more, 
it just makes it funnier that that you as a cider guy even though you're a beer guy too mention that because yeah it's a brewer's um, beer it's a brewer's beer it's perfect yeah. I've, I've talked before about doing judging events and uh you know it's eight o'clock in the morning and they bring out sierra nevada pale ales and they're like your calibration beer yep you know perfect and it's not that you get a whole one you get you know, some sips yeah but uh but it's just it is it's it's all i i would it's a, there's a solid argument to say that that's the perfect beer. I think it is. Yeah. I'll tell you what not to bring uh, backpacking. Well, I was climbing um, Mount Baker a few years back, and I brought a. I thought I was going to be really clever. We had a group of people with us, and I thought I'd surprise everyone, and I'll bring a margarita mix. So, you know, you can buy those pre-made margarita bags mm-hmm. or in the box. So I bought, you know, I got the whole thing. I threw the box away because it's just it's extra weight and yeah. space I, that I needed. So I just had this bladder. I wrapped it up in a towel and kept it all safe. Made it, you know, we're all the way up. We're at camp at 7,000 feet or whatever. I'm stoked. So I, everyone's got their beers and whatever. And I've got margarita. I'm mm-hmm. stoked. So I throw it in the uh, snow and bury it to cool it down and everything. And a couple hours later, I go to get it. And it's this hot out. It's just, you know, late spring. And the snow's all melted a little bit. And I can't really find exactly where I put this bag. I had an idea, but I wasn't, I didn't know exactly. So... I grabbed my ice axe and started kind of scraping away at the snow. And then I found it with yeah. the ice axe, mm-hmm. put a hole in it. Yeah. And I wasn't about to let this stuff go to waste. That nope. would be a shame. So I did what any you know, average person would do. And I just chugged it, chugged it yeah. drank the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I have never had heartburn in my life yeah. like I did that night. Not to mention the fact that you're at 7,000 feet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not yeah. Not only did I catch uh, way more of a buzz than I wanted to, but that heartburn almost cost me the, yeah, the summit bit the acid. next morning. It's a it, lot of citrus. It hurts so bad. Oh man, I've had actually I've had a hard time drinking margaritas since then. Uh, yeah, it kind yeah. of ruined it for myself. It's amazing how one uh, one bad experience can shape can yeah. shape things. Yeah, when I did the Wonderland Trail, I took uh, I didn't want to haul cans or bottles around. So I filled um, a decent-sized flask of pre-made Manhattans, and and I allowed myself one ounce per day. And there were some days that I took two ounces and was just like, I just won't have any the next day. But I had, no, I I mean, you only had so much, so. (laughs) Um, But, uh, yeah, it was definitely a a pick-me-up, you know, after doing... I mean, I did it in nine days, so that averages out to like what, fourteen miles a day yeah, or something like quick. that. Yeah, I mean, I I travel light. I've been backpacking my whole life, but uh, still, you know, there were some days that were very, very rough. I was like, I am so thankful that I brought this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Food is nice, but having a little bit of Manhattan, oh yeah, just makes it a little. I used that bitter pill. I used to climb with this one guy um, named Dave. I'll leave his last name out. Uh, really, just a remarkable mountaineer. And this guy is so tough, and he has so much energy. And he showed up to camp on on this climb with an eighteen pack of PBR. Wow! And we're—I'm t- not talking like we're, this wasn't like a two-mile hike. We we're at least ten miles from the trailhead in the mountains. Yeah. And everyone's unpacking all their stuff. And climbing and here, gear was yeah, and climbing a gear. lot. And this guy, he's not a big guy. He's a, he's on this, you know, he's not a huge dude. So his his weight to uh, weight to weight ratio for his mm-hmm. pack probably wasn't far off. Yeah. And when he pulled out that 18 pack, everyone's eyes just lit up like, 
like the Lord just came down. Yeah, and we're going to carry you to the top. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whatever it takes, buddy. <laughs> yeah. So people do different ways. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. Very impressive. That's impressive. <laughs> that's awesome. This is one of my favorite questions to ask because it, it, you never know where it's going to go. <laughs> um, tell us something that we don't know. And it could be about you. It could be about Lost Giants. It could be a piece of trivia. It could be whatever you want it to be. Just something that you don't think that we collectively would know. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's such a tough question. Um, something that most people don't know. I, let's see. Um, I have a daughter who is a phenomenal, I mean, all my daughters are phenomenal of human course. beings. Yes. <laughs> but my middle child, Sierra, is on the uh, USA kayak sprint team. Wow. Which maybe not a lot of people know about. I didn't she's, know that there was a kayak sprint team. Yeah, it's an Olympic event. Wow. And she's uh, she's 16 years old, and she's been to Europe twice already and travels all around the United States. And I think it was last year or the year before, she got invited to be on the U.S. team. That's awesome. And, yeah. Yeah, congrats to her. something... Yeah. Maybe not a lot of people nice know. work, Sierra. She's yeah, she's a, a 4.0 student. She just um, she's going to graduate with honors next year, and uh, yeah, that's something different. That is. I don't know where. Didn't see that coming. I, n neither did we. <laughs> yeah. I mean, her mom and I are both you know hardworking individuals and uh, provide a loving household, and we're, I think we're pretty decent people, but. Sometimes kids just come along that'll just blow your mind, and she's one of those. Yeah, because we're we have a good work ethic. Yeah, but she's just brilliant and yeah. so dedicated and committed to her craft and what she does. And I don't know. Anytime people ask me, oh, yeah, what do you want to talk about? Year old to be that focused, I think about when I was sixteen. I was not focused. Oh, yeah. no, I was. I was such an idiot. <laughs> such a, I barely graduated high school. Never went to college. Uh, I, you know, worked odd random jobs my life and I, I feel like I'm just now starting to figure things out mm -hmm. just now yeah. and I every day I learn how much I don't know oh absolutely I, I think that's part of the with age comes wisdom thing is every day you're like you realize how little that you know instead of like I'm so brilliant yeah it's like oh I didn't know that yeah or I'm just figuring that out or that thing that eluded me for the last 30 years of my life finally clicked yeah. makes sense <laughs> yeah yeah right. i get that it's a learning well that's awesome. all about learning that's great yeah um so there's something yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh do, so you're as as someone who is a business owner and uh, having uh just celebrating the one year anniversary of lost giants is there any advice that you may have for people who are listening to this? And especially you're in a unique position because you're the first cider person I've spoken with. Um, I guess technically you could say Robert Arzu, who is part of Honeymoon. But, um, but as a cider owner specifically, is there any advice for people who want to be in your position that you might have? Uh, bring lots of money. <laughs> yes. Don't, under, don't underestimate what it costs to operate a business. 
Cash is king. It is. You need to be soluble. We felt like we had an upper hand when we started because we, not only were we aware of that fact that you, you, you need extra money for, you know, capital, uh, just base capital for operations. But we also had my, my mom, who's a 40 year vet in, in business management. And she was of course there to tell us the whole time. Yep. Make sure you have extra money and Mm -hmm. blah, blah. And of course we screwed that up and didn't i mean we <laughs> we thought it was a good idea to buy some really nice custom tanks you know and mm. we we spent a lot of money on equipment and we didn't save as much as we should have despite us knowing that and everybody telling us that we still managed to screw that up <laughs> so my advice to anybody is if you're going to go into business for yourself set aside lots and lots of capital yeah because you just don't know what's going to happen and you'll you'll be shocked the random bills that come across your desk when you're operating a business things you, you write never check, expect you write checks for a living that's what you yeah, do basically we, we we could have done a better job at that we've luckily we've been able to keep our heads above the water um yeah. because of the support of, of bellingham yeah if we if we were to have a, a a more difficult time starting up and getting customers in the door, we'd we'd have been in big trouble mm-hmm. because we didn't save enough money. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you had pretty instant cash flow, and not to say that. Yeah, you just need cash flow. Yeah, <clears throat> and that's the biggest thing. Yeah, I was just visiting with uh, with Jason, who's getting ready to open Stemma. Uh, hopefully, by the time that this is out, um, which will be mid July, this being mid to late June, um, they'll be open. And, uh, yeah, we, we were having a conversation about you need cash flow right now. You're just hemorrhaging money when you're, when you're opening and, uh, yeah, just open those doors. Yeah. (laughs) Just, just even just a couple pints, just cash flow. Yep. Expect Um, the unexpected. Yeah. Expect the unexpected. You just can't, you can think yourself to death on all the possible things that'll come up, but there's going to be things that happen that, that rise that you just did not see coming mm-hmm. and they will happen to you. Yeah. It doesn't matter how well you plan. Yeah. It's just the nature of business. It's, it's yeah. just like the nature of life. Things unexpectedly happen, you know, something bad or good could happen any day. Yeah. Any day. You're always settling, I guess. That's not really the word I'm looking for. Compromising. Compromising. Damn it. That's the word I'm looking for. Thank you. Definitely. Yeah. It's, it's all a compromise. Yeah. You know, you have to take one thing from one thing in order to make this happen on a daily basis. And then on a quarterly basis, on a yearly basis, you know, and it's just, it's exponential. Definitely. It's we, I think our, well, okay. I, I can't speak for everybody in our, on the team, but for, for me, I think my ego got in the way in, um, and that we wanted, we, we're all very local people. We, we think local, we buy local. And our goal was to buy everything as close to Bellingham as we could. Mm-hmm. Meaning that some things came from Bellingham, some things came from Washington, some things came from Oregon, a couple things came from the Midwest. And we really tried to make an effort to keep everything as local as possible. And with that, where the tanks that we wanted were local, made in Oregon tanks, but you pay for that. Mm-hmm. And I think my ego said, 
Yes, be local. At, at any cost, be local. That's the most important thing. And it is important. That was how we were starting out. Yeah. I, in hindsight, I would have probably thought more about used stuff or sourced, you know, maybe something from China or something. If Just to get started, you know, once we're up and running and we're making money, if, if that day ever comes, then, yeah, we can afford to spend the extra money to buy local stainless. But... It is, you know, it's more than twice the cost. Yeah, and stainless is going up in cost every day. Yeah. Like literally every day. Um, and that was one thing that was killing us. You know, we were planning over five years. Well, the difference in that five years, stainless had gone up quite a bit. Premier's um, cost had not gone up proportionally, but the, the locally, you know, the Oregon, the Washington made stainless had gone up by like a third and yeah. so it's like okay well that changes the business plan so every time we were meeting with new investors or something we were having to tweak the business plan mm -hmm. a little bit like okay well equipment's going to be this oh now equipment's going to be this now yeah. and uh you know just got to the point we can't afford to do this <laughs> yeah it's crazy it's good we did end up luckily we did end up buying i think 99% of all of our equipment was, was domestic. Oh, nice. It's come, most of it come from around here, mm -hmm. you know, the Pacific Northwest area. Yeah. A couple things from the Midwest, but we did manage to do it, but, and I'm proud of that. Yeah. But, yeah, should be. Uh, you know, if I was giving advice to someone, I would say, you know, maybe think about just how much value you put on that starting up, how much value you're going to put on that. It's your biggest asset. Yeah. Unless you're buying a building, it's the biggest asset that you have is your stainless. Yep. In your system. It's definitely the most costly thing. That and plumbing. Oh, that's, a, that's <laughs> yeah. here's a, here's a good piece of advice for people. <laughs> I know exactly where you're Do going. Do not with this. underestimate <laughs> the cost of plumbing. Holy cow! And electricity. And elect. Oh yeah. Yeah. And people, water. Yeah. Do. Yeah. Yeah. All of it. I, I I haven't done it in a long time, but I used to do some consulting for people who wanted to to do to open breweries. And my first question, of course, was like, do you have half a million dollars? Yeah, like, a good starting point. Yeah, no, no, go get it and then come back. Or yes, okay, good. Do you have access to another half a million dollars? Okay, good. You'll want to start working on that right now. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I would say is when you're looking at the cost of a system, that's not the cost of the system. You know, like, but this premier system's only like 140 grand or like, well, let's, let's be realistic, like 340 grand. It's like, well, that's great, but it's got to be plumbed. It has to be, the, well, things have to be welded right. into place. Electrical. There has, it has to be, ele <clears throat> there has to be electrical service to it. And, uh. All the random and it, fittings. It has to be shipped. Shipping. It has to be unloaded, which means you're going to have to rent, uh, either a forklift or a crane yep. or both and get that in there if you've already you know if you only have a door that's so big you might have to blow out a wall in order to get that stuff in right. there's all and do you know things. how to stand up 30 barrel 40 barrel for minutes yes. do you know that's how to a do trick it? yeah you're gonna need somebody to do that <laughs> exactly and uh it's like so add a quarter of that onto there at least yeah. you know i would budget a third just in order to get it into place and have it working yeah that's solid advice and yeah. I mean, that's what you're saying is don't just look at that. 
Yeah. There's, <laughs> there's so many facets. There's more to, to it. There's more to it. And then don't forget, it's a factory. Shit breaks. Yep. So maintenance. Yeah. Upkeep. Yeah. Things yeah. might not work. You know, maybe you have a leak. Well, you're going to have to call them. They're going to have to come out. You know, some of it might be on spec, but some of it might not be, yeah. depending on what it is. You know, maybe you misjudge this by one inch. Well, that shit doesn't work. Well, what you, do you need do? To bring in a local welder or they'll send one out, but it's going to cost. 10 grand yeah. you know, because you're going to have to put them up in a hotel. Yep. All those things. Oh, and then there's that other thing, uh, taxes. Mm. If you're not, if you're not in the industry and you're unfamiliar, you're thinking about starting a business, do your research on taxes. It'll blow your mind. It will blow your mind. Yes. There are local taxes that you, the BNO taxes here in mm -hmm. Bellingham, like the privilege of just owning a business that's like what half a percent, one percent, yeah. something like that. Um, yeah, sales tax, you have to, you get the privilege of holding on to that and then giving it back. Don't forget to do that. Um, and then, you know, the per barrel taxes, state level, yeah. federal level. So many that hoops adds to jump up. through. So many hoops. Plus permits. Oh, yeah. The permit to be, to be able to have the privilege of creating an alcoholic product. Um, it's it's, <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> it's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. For anyone out there who's thinking about doing this, email me if you ever want to, if you have any <laughs> yeah. questions. So. Or better yet, go buy Lost Giants <laughs> yeah. and have have uh, have some cider and uh, and talk to you guys. Yeah. Well, We'll tell you about our experiences. Yeah. And that's one beautiful thing. I find the, the brewing community, for lack of a better term, to to be that way. Like everybody's more than willing to talk about their trials and tribulations. Oh, yeah. And it's like, oh, here's here's what, let me tell you a funny story. Here's what you don't want to do. That cost me 28 grand. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> don't do that. Don't make it to the point where you have to do things twice. Yeah. Because you know? there might be some things where you do have to do. You do it once and you're like, Nope, doing that again. Yeah. Um, or the piece of equipment, like this piece isn't working like I thought it would. Mm -hmm. Can't return it. Yeah. You're stuck with it. Yeah. Buy another piece. Luckily, stainless, used stainless is almost as valuable as new stainless. It's That yeah. market has changed so dramatically in the last 20 years. Um, Certainly. There's such a demand right now. Such a demand. Yeah. And that's what we were going to, we were looking into used equipment. And we're like, you know what? It's just cheaper to get something that's at least under warranty for a little bit. You know, why right. not? <laughs> Made to our specifications. When when we uh, first started getting this project rolling, I talked to a bunch of different business owners from different industries too. Just cause I wanted to gauge. I wanted to learn a little bit about what I didn't know about, which was literally owning a business. Running this a business. The, yeah, yeah. The first business I've ever, you know, had myself and or with partners. So there's a learning curve. And I remember I asked Chad uh, from Gwander, I said, Chad, tell me about what has been the most challenging parts of starting and operating a business. And he said that what he finds to be some of the more challenging things are employees and not just having, you know, not the disciplinary part, right, but right. sometimes the rewarding <laughs> part, just employees in general. It, it, it's a, it's a big machine. Mm -hmm. And those, you know, those words really resonated with me because I'm thinking of all the things he's done from, from startup to where he's at now. This was, you know, like I said about two years ago, that's what he, that was one Payroll. of the top things that he chose was employees. And then the second thing he mentioned was 
you don't stop thinking about business once you own it. And he, those words came out of his mouth and I, I heard them and I listened to them and I thought that I understood them. I, 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 I could see how, yeah, yeah, you probably don't stop thinking about it very often, but I grossly underestimated what he really meant. And that's what I'm learning now. Yeah. When he says, when he told me that he's always thinking about it, I thought, well, that doesn't sound too bad, but, and it's not that bad, but literally there's no breaks. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You could be, you know, at your best friend's wedding, watching him get married and you're thinking about, oh, did I, did I, was I supposed to take that cake over there? Or did I fix that leak? Or, oh, is this fermentation going okay? Mm-hmm. Or, oh, is, when's the distributor coming? I mean, you're just, you're always thinking about it. Yeah. It is nonstop. Yeah. Well, he, he has sat in that chair and his interview was very enlightening. Um, he talked about a lot of those things, especially, you know, he and Colleen are co-owners and you know, they're married and how do you, where's that separation mm-hmm. come and where do you draw the line? And they do, they have specific, it would be interesting. I think I'm not to plug my own podcast, but um, it would be interesting to go back and listen to that. Cause his was one of the more enlightening ones. Um, he had a lot of good things to say about the business side of things. Um, and he did talk about payroll and employees and how to deal with that. Cause people don't realize like you have to pay L and I on every employee that you have and you have to have insurance on every employee mm-hmm. that you have. And you know, so you pay them $10 an hour. Well, really you're paying them more like 12 or $13 Easily. an hour when it comes down to it. Yeah. Uh, and especially if you have high turnover rate, well, okay, great. You know, there's, there's training that needs to be done and that costs money, you know, because it's people's time even if it's yours, there's a, there's a lot of factors that go into having yeah. employees that, that a lot of business owners don't uh, think about. Uh, my dad owned a, a, his own business for decades, and I remember when I opened the bottle shop, he warned me. He was like, it's it's all or nothing. You know, you're either all in or you're not, and if you're not willing to be all in, then don't do it. Very good advice. Yeah, but it's the same kind of thing. I understood what he was saying, but I didn't fully appreciate it until I was in it. Yeah. It was like, oh, oh, okay, oh, I, see. I get it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, you gotta you gotta make sure that it's the right fit for you. And uh, another another common theme has been, well, do you want to be a brewer or a production person, or do you want to be a business owner? Because you're not necessarily going to be both. You can't do both exceptionally well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's I think much. there's few there's there are a few people that pull that off, and that uh, you know, I have tremendous respect for. But for the most part, if you're going to be of any size, right, you that's, can't really do it. That's the difference, right there. Is yeah. how yeah, how big are you? Because yeah. if you're small, you can probably get away with that. But mm-hmm. you get to a certain point, and you just can't do it all. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, Chris, thanks for coming oh, today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for taking the time out on this beautiful day when we should be outside. And we're going to go outside and, and, and drink more beer yes. and talk about backpacking. But um, is there anything that uh, that I missed that you'd like to add? Um, well, uh, we you know uh, for those of uh, uh, those of your listeners who live around here, the second annual Sipping on Cider event is going to happen in October. It's a fundraiser for Shifting Gears which is a local nonprofit organization. It's uh, last year was the first 
sipping on cider and it's it was the first cider festival ever in bellingham yeah and this year we'll be repeating it and it will be held at lost giants uh this is not our event just want to make sure everyone Which, knows that where is your address oh our we're at 1200 meter avenue mm -hmm. in the haskell business center haskell business or center yeah right next to the batting cages everyone seems to know where that's at if you don't know where that is it's behind civic field and if you don't know where that's at use your phone google it yeah come on <laughs> <laughs> it's a brave new world yeah <laughs> so yeah we hope to see uh people come out and support the shifting gears um organization they're they're wonderful in what they do for the community and we want to support them in any way we can and this is one of the ways we can do it yeah. and we have lots of great cider there from you know we'll have multiple different cideries there it'll be fun just like a beer fest but cider yeah yeah i think that's one of the more rewarding uh parts of being a business and a local business is being able to help out those things that that you are passionate about and by you i mean not only you but your business philosophy in general yeah that's great to be in that kind of a position that's one of the that's one of the greatest gifts of the, of being a business owner i'm glad you mentioned that because it doesn't get talked about a lot but mm -hmm. yeah you have this incredible opportunity to give back finally it's one thing to donate your time um, you know, for non in a non-professional format, but as you can take your passion and apply that to helping the world in in small ways, that's a great opportunity. Yeah. And nobody does it up like Bellingham does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Bellingham is just is so good about supporting local nonprofit organizations, and we're going to follow in the footsteps that have been laid out in front of us from the other breweries and mm -hmm. continue that. Continue to do that. Yeah, give it back. Yep. Indeed. Yeah. Good well, times. All right. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Let's, Thank uh, you. Let's go dork out on uh, on backpacking stuff now and not bore these poor people with that. <laughs> I think they probably had enough of this. <laughs> yeah, I think they had enough. All right. Well, thanks again for coming, and uh, I'll see you soon. Thanks, Dave. Cheers. Yep. Thanks again to Chris for making the time to sit down and chat. Be sure and get over there and sample the wares, even if you don't consider yourself a cider person. It's worth it, I promise. Those Randall infusions pretty much guarantee there'll be something different every time you visit. And that's a good thing. All right. Comments, questions, requests, ideas, your favorite beers right now that I should try. Reach me directly at dave at taptrail.com. I want to tailor this podcast to you, the listener, so don't be shy. If you enjoy Tapped In, please take a moment to rate us with all of the stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast listening pleasure from. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next exciting episode. It really does make a big difference. I will talk to you next month. And until then, may all of your beers be mighty fine.